Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. It has long been my dream to find the perfect way for people to achieve simply happiness, contentment, inner peace. These seem to be things that strangely elude us all. But it doesn't have to be that way. We at Arborea have found a path to achieve them. Here at the Institute, we are in the forefront worldwide in neuropsychology and new therapeutic technologies. Dr. Barry Nile, our head of research, myself, and our dedicated team of herbalists, naturopaths, and healers have found a way to make that dream a reality. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you gently along the path to a new, better, happier you. All in the comfortable surroundings of our state-of-the-art facility and our award-winning gardens. We invite you to join us and find out for your self. podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and this is a brand new segment coming to podcast Under the Stairs. It will be with us for the foreseeable future or until our test case subject decides that he hates me um, and no longer wants to do the segment, which is, which is possible. We'll see how long we get into these ones. Baz infamously said that he would only do maybe a couple 
horror movies and say we got on and we got five years through that that series so you never know we could be here five years from now still debating discussing arguing <laughs> yeah i know i know uh, the inner workings of art house horror it is of course a brand new segment called andy loves art house joining me on this is a long time friend long time collaborator of podcasts under the stairs is of course andy blockley how you doing sir all right, what's the inflection on Art House? Is it, <laughs> is it a question? Is it a statement? I'm unsure. I'm still, I'm still unsure. I guess we'll find I, out. By yeah, the end. I, I, I kind of want to make it like, uh, this is where we're going by the end of it. Andy will love Art House, but I realise how monumental a task that's going to be because uh, your tolerance for them. Oh, let's give, let's give a little background to this one. Like we've known each other now for about four years. Yeah, um, and we podcasted in that time many, many times. We've had a whole series of different other things that ran for for full seasons. Um, and in that time, we have kind of crossed paths or butted heads on certain movie titles. And it's weird because I never always, I never thought that I was much of an art house fan. And just in general, just in cinema, without even pivoting to kind of horror movies. But it turns out in the last five, six years anyway, that is very much where my tastes have been. I've, I've very much got behind the kind of the esoteric and vagueness of art house horror movies. So it's a relatively new thing for you as well then? Yeah, I mean, there are certain titles that I, I just think are bona fide classics. You know, like something like um, Requiem for a Dream, for example, when I watched it the first time, I, you know, although that's a movie which I, I would say is art house, I don't necessarily think it hides its message very well, you know what I mean? Kind of wears it on its sleeve, um, on its needle. Wears it on its arm. lanky severed arm. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, but I think, and there are other titles, like we spoke about in the past, like Suspiria and things like that, where I just got on board straight away. But there are a whole swath of movies which, you know, it took me time to get into, like much later on, um, and, and really grasp it. Possession's one of those movies, which we covered in Doing the Nasty, which oh, the yeah. first time I watched it, I appreciated it for what it was, but the older I got, the more I started to gravitate towards the messages in it, and really just kind of pick up on the the kind of nuances the director was was trying to make out in that one. I mean, you can look at that movie very literal, um, or you can look at that movie from the, the kind of the art house perspective of this message um, of, you know, she is so despised by him at some point and so different to him, even though he loves her, that he, he physically sees her turn into a, like a kind of tentacle-based creature. Now, other people have built that. It's a silly movie about a woman that turns into a tentacle woman. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how he sees her. And that, you know, it's just how he sees her. That's not what she's like in real life. And th these are the questions that start to come up. But what I realised really quickly in recording with you is, I wouldn't say all the time, but most of the time, you can't be fucked with that. <laughs> You're just like, no. <laughs> it's like, and nothing happens in this movie. It looks really pretty. End of story. Um, and that's kind of what surprised me about the idea of building this segment because there's a couple of movies recently that should not have been an Andy Blockley favourite at all. Which, like ones that. You, which ones are you thinking? Well, the big one to me uh, last year was The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Like, on paper, you should not like that movie. Because that's about as art house as art house gets. Like, people are speaking deliberately weird 
the setting is deliberately weird. The family interaction is deliberately weird. It doesn't explain anything. And things get pretty crazy and gnarly um, pretty quick. So, I mean, on paper to me, that is... And so when you said you'd watched it, I think you got a pensive message from me that basically said, all right, let's go for it, Andy. What's wrong with it? And you were like, that. no, I really liked it. And I was like, eh? Do you know what? I don't don't know if you're thinking of something else because I don't think I've seen that one. But you have seen that one. You told me you had. You definitely yeah. did. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. I haven't. I haven't seen that. Oh, well, I'm just making up shit now. In but, my mind, you have, and you loved it. So did I. Well, we can do yeah. it for a segment. We'll do it for one of <laughs> this then. I predicated this whole show, this whole idea on the fact that you like the killing of a sacred deer. And Jesus Christ. The whole, the, whole thing, the whole thing's a facade. <laughs> well, we could, we, could, we could do a really quick one here, right? Like a super quick one here. Um, Andy, what's your film of the year? Hereditary. Right. And what what have you said is like your favourite horror movie of the last decade? Hereditary. Hereditary, right? Hereditary is what you said. Hereditary is an art house horror movie. It, okay, what, so what, what's your what, what, it, what for you? What is art house? Because I know kind of what I think it is what I understand an art house film to be. Like, what? How would you just sum it up in a couple of lines if someone said, "Right, what's art house?" Right, an, an art house horror movie is one that has a specific visual eye, so it's like it's almost hyper stylized. You know, it's like a, a really, really well shot, really deliberately coloured film, right? Um, it has almost, I, I imagine, see if you go and see these like one people please, uh, <laughs> like the, the vagina monologues or something like that, um, where people like act in a specific way, which is not necessarily re- realism, right? Um, so you get this kind of off center way of how people interact, um, like, or in a movie where things are taken for granted. Um, or things are oblivious to the characters that are, you know, noticeably weird to the audience. Um, that falls under art house. Movies that tend to be layered, but the the kind of top layer is this very kind of superficial layer. Um, it's where it loses a lot of people. A lot of people look at movies in two dimensions, not three dimensions, uh, and that's fine. Like, not every movie should work in three dimensions. Um, but those that look at movies in two dimensions, especially art house horror movies, miss the subtext. And art house movies are pretty much predicated on subtext. They require yeah, so you yeah, to. I think that's kind of what my understanding. If if you said to me, "What do I think an art house film is?" For me, it's basically where like imagery is used to tell a story. Um, yeah. It's not literal. It's not necessarily in the dialogue. Um, it's very stylistic. It's, it's through basically sounds and imagery rather than yeah. actual narrative story. That's kind of how I. I don't think you're you're wrong with that but I I think it goes like one step further in that very much like a painting no interpretation of that is right or wrong so like we could both be talking about the movie that we're going to be talking about today and at the end of it you could say my theory is this and as long as you state why you think that theory is that it is just as valid as my theory on the movie and that's what makes I think Art House the the audience member watching the movie determines the outcome. So if you come in feeling a certain way or in a certain mood or start going down a certain path of what you think the movie is, you have a completely different viewer experience than the person sitting beside you. 
So it's not like going to see a Marvel movie at the cinema. You go and see a Marvel movie, you either like it or you yeah. dislike it. If you like it, it's probably for the same reason the person sitting beside you liked it. Um, Do you know what film I've just kind of... It's just dawned on me, I think, where you're getting confused. It's Mother that I liked, and you can believe that I liked it. Ah, that's what it is. Mother is definitely an art house horror movie. Yeah. So, yes. Well, The Killing of a Sacred Deer is now on the list. Um, Cool. Yeah, well, that's kind of worked out well then. But yeah, I think that's where the confusion is. There was was a movie that you were like, hang on a minute, how the fuck... Surely you didn't like that, did you? And it was. It was Mother. And I think that's kind of what started you off. Yeah. And then I liked... And then obviously I liked Hereditary as well. And you went, I think you're going to hate it. Yeah. And I was like, this is literally the greatest thing I've seen in about 10 years, man. (laughs) I was totally... I was... That was, to me... Because I come out of the cinema... I saw Hereditary people know this already uh, I saw Hereditary and I I thought it was fucking brilliant I really really loved that movie and I came out and I, as soon as I got in the house I brain dumped like about a million ideas of what I thought the movie was about what was going on um, and you only get that from me from a good quality art house horror movie you know what I mean yeah. or a good quality art house movie like I start like linking things up and what did I see and did this mean this and there was a deliberate shot on this particular item or this particular segment in, in a house so what did that mean and you know I started writing all that out and then I went to see it with my my friend like about three or four days later specifically with that you know that list in mind to almost validate my opinion and most people would think by going to do that you would enjoy the movie less I enjoyed it even more on the second watch I mean it's it's top tier horror for me this year it's it's I in think- a very crowded top three at the moment and I don't know where it's going to lie you know by the end of the year after a third rewatch but yeah I think um, the difference is with something with like hereditary which is why I think I enjoyed it so much is that some people have argued that there's, there's this too much left unanswered in hereditary and I yeah. I think if you watch that film either 100% paying attention or you watch it like a second time everything is answered for you in that film there are no stones left unturned all the questions are answered if you if you know where to look and you're concentrating hard enough i agree yeah whereas something like mother first of all like i don't even think the director knew what the fuck he was going on if like it, it almost annoyed me i think there was some interview where he kind of like almost like shoehorns the meaning in after he's fucking made the film yeah and apparently it's all in there and if you know the bible like very well which i don't think many people do for me i didn't appreciate mother for any of the metaphors in the film at all um i just appreciate it as a big fucking uh, anxiety nightmare dream mm-hmm and, and, and that's as far as my kind of appreciation for it went. Um, apparently, there's loads of, of things about the Earth, isn't there? And the way we're treating the planet and there's like, and like Bible verses and all that sort of shit in there. Um, I don't know. It also comes like down that. to like the... the, the, the it, on some level, it's how like a director makes a movie as well. There's, it works on... That's why I thought it was such a good movie, because it works on so many levels. Yeah. Yes, you can take it from a literal Bible perspective. You can take it from a kind of Mother Earth kind of ecology perspective, if you wanted. Um, you can take it from an artistic perspective, how difficult it is and how exhausting it is to create something which will be trampled and destroyed by the masses or adored um, and, you know, revered by the matter. Like, it, it, it goes down that road as well. I thought it was such a clever movie. I'm like you. I think it's made purposely vague um, in a lot of respects that he allows 
that I mean, there's also the fact that he was seeing Jennifer Lawrence at the time, and their relationship was over as they were making the movie. So you could see okay. it almost as the disintegration of a relationship as well. Yeah. Um, so there's there's so, much, but I think he did deliberately make it vague, um, and th- that's that's fine. I, I always come back to like. I always come back to David Lynch. Always come back to David Lynch. I know you're not a big fan, and we'll see if that changes over time, but uh, it probably won't. But my, one of my favourite all-time David Lynch quotes, uh, and this speaks to true artistic interpretation of making a movie of someone who's just like, you know, take it for what it is for you and, and don't ask me to explain what I did. Um, and it's that great interview where he's asked about a razor head and the guy says... Uh, I've, I've heard you say that A Razor Head is your most religious film to date. And he goes, yes. And then the guy goes, would you like to elaborate on that? And he goes, no. He's <laughs> like <Yeah>. that. <laughs> don't ask me to explain my movie. I don't explain my movies. I just make yeah. my movies. I think my yeah. issue is, like, I don't have a problem necessarily with having to Google the meaning of a movie if there's just stuff I've missed. But for me, like, if I Google the meaning of a movie and I still don't fucking get it after I've yeah. had it explained to me then I think the movie's not done something right. Um, yeah. So we'll, I mean, yeah we'll, we'll see how I feel about, obviously, the one we're talking about today by the end of it, after you've kind of given your theory and I've given mine. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a... Even when I formulate an opinion on a movie, I will still see what other people think of the movie. I'll still check out other opinions. I'll watch videos on YouTube. You know, I'll track down other approaches that other people have. And sometimes it makes me change my opinion. Um, I'll I'll give a story um, on yesterday's episode. So this is dropping on Monday. On yesterday's episode, um, I put out a a review of a movie called Possum. It's a new British horror movie. It's fucking great. I absolutely loved it. Dark, twisted gnarly, uncomfortable, creepy little movie um, directed by the dude that did uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Um, okay. And so it's, it's, it's as British as it gets. Um, it's getting a limited release this month. And you, I, I get a feeling you're going to love it, um, but it's going to creep you out. And I was there with my, my buddy and the director was doing a QA at the end of it. And I had a specific question that I wanted to ask because I had a theory, Andy, when I was watching the movie. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, I was like that. I really have this strong theory about one particular aspect of the movie. Yeah. And I was getting ready to ask my question. And um, someone before me asked a question and the director explained the answer to what my question would have been as part of his answer. And I couldn't have been more wrong if I tried. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, it was it was far more literal than I had thought. I yeah. had taken my opinion that you know there was some some darker kind of more um, psychological meaning behind something, and his answer was very straight down the line. No, this is what this means. So um, does that is that ruin that a little bit for you? Then would you have preferred it to be a bit more cryptic? Um. Like, yes you and no. You, did you wish you'd been right on that rather than? I, going- I, I think I think it would have been. Had I not known the answer, you know what I mean? I, I I would have not enjoyed the movie more, but I would have thought it would have worked on a you know an extra level. Uh, the level it works on is great, and it's a fucking great horror movie. Could it um, not still mean that for you just because he didn't look at it that way? Could you still go, yeah, well, yeah, I, oh, but, that, I, but that's, yeah. The, that's the beauty of filmmaking. I think is 
Oh, and it means in, in most films, I think you can do that. I think people. I think the reason people still keep writing books about cinema is that people start to. It's like that way when you were at school, and you would be in school, and you'd have English, and you would get like a. a don't know, a Ray Bradbury story or something to read. And your English teacher would start going, right, what techniques are used here? What metaphors? What similes? You know, why has he chose this? What, you know, and, and they would go through all this. That is purely speculation. Because Ray Bradbury never sat down and dissected his work. That mm. is someone critiquing it using techniques that they understand, right? So it's them putting their self into the novel. It's them uh, critiquing the novel in that way. So I don't think for yeah I think on some level maybe Ray Bradbury did think I'm going to put a metaphor in here I'm going to put a simile in here but sometimes that just happens it happens you know unconsciously or subconsciously um, you do that and I think you know filmmakers do the same and I think we interpret films in the ways that we think they best fit in our brains because everyone thinks differently everyone consumes differently everyone yeah. structures differently if I give um, a route to a place that we're going to go and have lunch Andy and I give four possible routes and I give that out to people some people will go the quickest way some people will go the more scenic way so you know like we, we all do things differently because they equate better, better to our brain and the, the way we structure things the way we think things yeah. consuming media is exactly the same and whilst yes I think my thought on that one was so much better I can see where he was coming from where where the rest of the movie is so cryptic in itself that giving you a very linear explanation to something at the end of it works so much better because you don't have to think about it and it did give it a definite end to the movie where my one was a bit more you know metaphysical and, uh, and esoteric in its description he definitely nails the ending as you know this actually did happen and this is what happens um, and that to me in a lot of respects probably does work better um, yeah. and yeah no one else that I that I could see around me and I was speaking to my buddy at the end was on the path that I was on so once again maybe that's me already tuned into like watching movies a particular way that I'm constantly thinking the director is trying to be smarter than he is and some yeah. directors don't want to be some directors just want to tell a story um, yeah. which kind of links us to this um, the on. reason we've kind of kicked off Andy Loves Art House is because I want to see if my theory about your tastes changing actually does hold water. Um, it's also to give you a bit more of an experience of Art House Horror Movie, which is a huge umbrella which contains many people huddled under it, many different styles, um, that I think some of these will land definitely. I think a lot of them might be, uh, you know, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Um, there are going to be some in here that you're just going to flat out not like. I, I, I already envisage that. Um, but we'll see how it goes. And the reason we picked this movie first, uh, Panos Cosmotos Beyond the Black Rainbow, is that he put out a movie this year, Mandy, which if you've been listening to podcasts under the stairs, you know is also up there beside Hereditary and Tigers Are Not Afraid as my favourites that I've seen this year. I thought Mandy was a fucking work of genius. It blew me away. I, I, I couldn't, like, even on the second watch, I I just sat there dumbstruck at how how singular the vision is. I, I think that my, my description was is maybe one of the most singular visions of horror cinema I've seen um, in a while. 
you know, I just I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, but he is a fairly weird and aloof character. Um, son of a director, I think his dad directed Rambo too. Um, <laughs> weirdly yeah. enough, um, so his dad's in the, the has been in the business for a, a while. He's obviously taken up the mantle, but he's only done one film before Mandy, and it came out almost a decade before. And it's Beyond the Black Rainbow, a movie that I didn't see immediately when it came out, but I caught circa when this podcast was starting. Uh, so back in like 2013-2014 um, was when I saw it for the first time and I'm sure I heard it on the back of listening to it might have been a Killer POV podcast mentioned it in the passing and I was like that oh that Elric Kane who loves that art house stuff mentioned this movie I need to go and check that movie out um, and I loved it then and that's why I was convinced that you wouldn't like Mandy and then you were like that Mandy's a great movie I fucking loved it and I was like hmm Mm, Andy Blockley, I see what you're doing. Because uh, Mandy's also an art house horror movie. It's just done differently. It's oh, done absolutely. It was Mandy that made me want to watch this movie because I thought, yeah. well, what else is this guy doing? So, with that in mind, I think it's, I think it's only right that we we begin with something which is described by many as a movie that is purely visuals and no story at all, like literally a one page story script um, and all fancy visuals um, as a great starting point for us because this one is going to have this one's the one that's going to stretch your your mental muscles to see if you did see if you read between the lines or did see something in here Um, so yeah we're going to take a break Andy Um, people are going to hear promos for other shows that do other things in other places Um, they're then going to hear the trailer for Panos Cosmotos Beyond the Black Rainbow. When we return, Andy is going to let us in. Let us in, Andy. Let us into your brain and discuss what you made of the movie, any theories that you might have about what the movie might be trying to say. Uh, We're then going to give it a good old-fashioned Netflix grade, and then Duncan is going to put down his theory, and then, closing out the segment, we're going to kind of find out if my theory holds water with you, uh, if you like it, if you dislike it, if you think probably works or doesn't work and with that in mind is it something you're likely to watch again so peeps get yourself strapped in it's time to get all weird and shit uh, as we transport back in a delorean a delorean made of film and back to 1983 because that's when the movie set not when it was made um and we're going to check out panos cosmotos beyond the black rainbow all that and more coming right up right after this You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only a film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, tune in, and on your Android device. Which versus the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break. Hello. 
My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. Welcome back. So this is Andy Loves Art House with an exclamation mark or a question mark or a couple of dots at the end. We're unsure. We don't know where this is going. Um, I just love this idea of it changing episode to episode. Um, we don't know. We don't know. Um, or maybe we finish it in a, like a weird flesh where it's like, Andy Loves Art House. <laughs> kind of moving off up. Uh, right. The first movie we're going to discuss, you heard the trailer for it, is Panos Kazmatos. Uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow from 2010. This is a Canadian horror sci-fi thriller and uh, <laughs> um, stars oh, no. uh, Michael Rogers, Eva Bourne, Scott Highlands, Rondal Ryerson, Ra- <laughs> uh, Marilyn Norrie, Jerry South, Chris Gauthier, uh, Sarah Stockstead, Roy Cancel, uh, Jeffrey Condor, um, and other folks, fuck that. Uh, it's a small cast anyway. Um, synopsis for this one is, despite being under heavy sedation, a young woman tries to make her way out of the Arborea Institute, a secluded quasi-futuristic commune. Um, which is kind of true, that's kind of what happens in the movie-ish. Um, maybe, kind of. Uh, I like to think there's a bit more going on here, but some people would say that's all that's going on here. Um, interestingly enough, this movie set in 1983, which is the same year that Mandy set. So I get a feeling that uh, uh, Cosmotos kind of loves 1983 for some reason. Would not surprise me if that, that was maybe the year he was born or something, I don't know. Um, but he, he kind of loves setting these movies there. And I almost feel... I'm not just putting this out there to already start, like 
playing my cards on the on the table. I almost feel like Ma uh, Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow could be in the same world. You know, they have that feel that they could exist in the same kind of same commune, the same world, the same the same planet Earth that you know Black Rainbow exists in is the same one that Red is trying to get vengeance for the death of Mandy. Um, and, you know, I, I love that idea that you know he's maybe world building in himself. Um, yeah, so the, the movie is, you know, obviously it's the breakout from this director here. It runs about an hour and 50 minutes. Mandy runs two hours, so this is slightly shorter. And I am curious because you did really love Mandy. Uh, and when we were like, yeah, let's do Beyond the Black Rainbow, I am really unsure where you're going to land with this because... I, I understand criticisms of this movie, I just don't agree with them at all. Um, I think you, I think a lot of people do a disservice to this movie when they just focus on the visuals. Because um, I think there is quite a lot the director's trying to say. Uh, and I might be wrong, the director might be like uh, Garth Marenghi in his dark place and he may be like, nope, it's meant literal. In uh, which case, like all my theories fold like a, a house of cards um, when someone sneezed. Andy, you watched the movie, and you've now experienced Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, give us a little bit of your feelings, uh, and what actually goes on. What is Beyond the Black Rainbow? The floor is yours, sir. Okay, so what I can tell, just from watching this film, we've got a, uh, a young girl, kind of seems to be imprisoned within like a, a mental institution type place, mm -hmm. um, by... A doctor who seems almost to the point where he's uh, obsessed with this girl. Don't really know why. There's kind of inklings that she's got some sort of telekinetic, telepathic, you know, psychokinesis type, you know, carry type abilities. Mm -hmm. um, he seems to like really strong prescription drugs and then seems to like staring at himself in the mirror after he's taken them, which apparently you're not supposed to do <laughs> when you've dropped acid <laughs> or similar psychotropics. Um, I, 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 well, I'm, I mean, visually, this is incredibly similar to Mandy, actually. Um, you, you can tell, I think, really obviously that it's the same guy. You know, if if you were shown like 20 movies, they all had similarities. This is the one you'd pair up with Mandy straight yeah. away. Um, visually, I did really like it um, for the same reasons that I really like Mandy. Um, it's got a real dream-like quality to it. it shows you very strange sort of visual images to represent certain things that are happening in the film there is a distinct lack of dialogue um which i did struggle with and i also found a lot of it in seems to be in slow motion i don't know whether it was or whether it just felt like it was um but it kind of got to the point with me when i was watching thing anything to do with the with the prisoner um elena is it anything to do with her mm -hmm. I think you could go and make a cup of tea and have a and go to the toilet and come back and she would be where we were like three or four minutes ago and I sort of found that towards like the end as well like when she escaped the institute and I know it's a deliberate stylistic choice by the director but I thought well, do we need it to take about three or four minutes for her to like walk across a lawn mm -hmm. like fuck so there was some things that really frustrated me I think the main thing that frustrated me with this film I think because of the lack of narrative, I was frustrated within myself that I didn't really understand what was going on. Right. 
And I think that's probably a lot of the times when I watch these art house films, like it's really easy for me to go, oh, this is fucking shit. When the reality of it is when I actually sort of look into myself, I'm not angry at the film for being shit. I'm, ang- I'm almost frustrated, and not embarrassed, but a little bit like annoyed with why, why am I missing this? What, what is it that I'm not understanding with what's going on in this film? And there is sort of a clear, I wouldn't say plot particularly, like it's, there is something definitely going on in this film. I mean, like you said, it probably can be, you could easily probably tell someone in a couple of paragraphs from start to finish exactly what is going on. Um, and there's just a lot in it that I kind of didn't understand. Um, got to the end of it, I think I was expecting uh, her to escape and as to sort of maybe finally fully see either the reason he's obsessed with the reason, you know, she's been held captive. Is she incredibly dangerous? Is, you know, and I kind of like the way it almost flipped and actually he's the fucking dangerous one, really. Mm -hmm. He's the fucking psychopath, Um, which you can kind of tell sort of all the way through the film because of the way he's treating her, because of the way he treats his um, his work colleague, which actually made me laugh because she uses the line, I don't, he has the line, I don't know, Margot. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> is he a fan of Christmas Vacation, this director? Because <laughs> <laughs> only, only two films ever have now have had the line, I don't know, Margot. Yeah. Um, but there's things like he deliberately, you know, puts his, his uh, I don't know what you'd call her, his assistant in there. Um, to kind of see what would happen, uh, you know. I mean, it's fair to say he's, you know, is he a sociopath? He's not right in the head. I mean, the one thing I will say about this film, I did really enjoy the performance of the lead guy, the doctor. Yeah, Barry um, Nails. Yeah, that's the one. For for the distinct lack of, of um, dialogue in the film, so he doesn't really get much chance to say a great deal. Everything is just acted through facial expressions, reactions just a really fucking unnerving staring into space staring at her staring at himself in the mirror um it is a great performance uh, by the guy and just incredibly unnerving it's he's so on board with it i mean i think we talked about in halloween uh, the, the the new loomis and how yeah. the film just did not go far enough to explain his absolute psychotic obsession to the point where he would kill and allow people to be killed just to satisfy his own curiosity this doxy does that absolutely perfectly um, with with no dialogue either you don't need it you can just tell that there's, there's something very unnerving very not not quite right about this guy he's under he's on a lot of drugs and he's basically got this absolute obsession keeping this girl prisoner and by the end I was hoping we'd kind of see her do something incredible with her powers um, and it kind of does make sense to me that she didn't because there's nothing to say that, that she had those particular abilities and they were evil obviously we're just assuming that because he's keeping her captive Um, whereas actually obviously you know he completely flips and he's he's the one just fucking stabbing people in the face by the end of the film and she is just I think happy to you know to be free Um, I had to then go back and kind of read through it on Wikipedia just kind of through the plot Mm -hmm. and it's not that it didn't make sense to me. I just kind of thought there's certain things that the plot talks about where I just think, well, they didn't make that really that clear in the film. I don't really understand how they can 
write that in a plot synopsis when again is also it remember if it's on wikipedia that's someone else writing the plot yeah synopsis. that's what i was that's thinking not it coming from the you know the actual filmmaker or anything like that's someone else yeah. writing that so and obviously that's the only place you can ever really get these full plot synopsis from they always are from wikipedia but normally they're kind of spot on because mm-hmm. obviously films are linear and they're not particularly open to interpretation. It's just this is what happened in the film. I mean, there's just little things like you know the ceremonial dagger that's apparently called the Devil's Teardrop. Did he at any point say it was called that? Did I miss that? I think yeah. I can't remember that being used as a line in the movie. Yeah. Um, and there's just things that I just didn't fucking understand. Like I don't. Understand. What's the weird spacesuit thing that he's wearing? What? <laughs> Like I don't is 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 that did that actually happen? Is he because I know he's obviously not quite right. He's I'm assuming he is human, but he removes right. a wig and he yeah. removes the contact lenses. Um, yeah, let, 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 let's let's pivot this a little bit because you're. I think you're you're kind of you've thrown up a couple of questions which I actually do think the movie handles quite well, um, okay. and I think it just depends how you frame it. So you are right. Like like I say, you can very very and on a superficial level. This movie is about a girl trapped in an institute by a doctor who is obsessed with her um, and kind of feels like maybe she will be dangerous, but he's not quite sure. Um, and at first, the, the movie kind of sets out this idea that, you know, the, the doctor knows best. But as we further move into the movie, it, it's quickly, you know, like you quickly realise that actually this doctor is the one that has the issue. Um and you know he's holding this poor girl captive, um, and he, you know he is he is psychotic. But when we expand it out further, so you have this um, uh, a Borea Institute, which we see the movie starts with a, like a film reel from like the sixties of all this great thing this this institute's going to do. It's going to connect us with you know nature and science and technology. And it's so is this, through, the, is this meant to be through medication or just is it like um, yeah, it, like like sp- spirituality and medication and all the rest? It's gonna you, it's gonna evolve hu- you know human consciousness to the next yeah. level, right? In a lot of respects, I look at this movie as in some parts like a like a weird cross between like videodrome and a uh, 2001 a space odyssey right so yeah. like it's, it's this idea of the evolution of consciousness it's this idea of of you know human beings attaining the next level of uh, evolution so is this guy the key to this unlocking well yeah this is this is what comes right so basically this is the setup and then we jump to 1983 right so we've jumped what 30 years into the future and yeah. things ain't peachy right things are not going well in this institute um, we find that the doctor Arborea is like a very old man now confined to a room we won't see that too much later in the movie his assistant and colleague Barry Niles is now in charge of everything and we get a flashback about three quarters into the movie back to 1966 where basically they try the experiment on Barry this one that will allow him to attain the next level of consciousness and it doesn't work right it doesn't work if anything it brings him back horribly disfigured it removes so is that what they went being submerged in the black liquid kind yeah. of thing yeah. yeah so when he comes back he's fucked um, he comes back he murders Arborea's wife for a start um, and Arborea kind of lets him off um, and his daughter, uh, who is Elena, 
is put in the black tar. He puts her in there and then calls her the next level of human evolution. So the assumption is that she survives this and she gets what Barry was supposed to get. The ability to have this amazing super telekinetic powers and all the rest. She gets it and so he why never... why did Barry get it? Because he's evil yeah. or whatever. Well, no, Barry, it just didn't work with him. So just Barry's work. life's work fails at that yeah. level because he can't get the attainable thing. So as such, he imprisons her. He imprisons her like, and keeps her away from the world. Um, and there's so many things to do with like if you expand this out even further I think this is just a this is just a really 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 good um, allegory for society and how we build up social constructs you think about it this way the the hierarchy of what we understand our life to be mm. is that you know it's very well controlled by people in suits right and you know everything must be structured nothing can be you know nothing can be you know all veneer with no substance um, and it's interesting in modern times I don't want to pivot this and I can do the nasty-esque conversation but when a government says to you We're, we want to separate from the European Union and we have a plan of how to do that yeah. and people vote on that and then you find it very quickly there is no plan <laughs> right yeah you know what i mean it's this idea of not like but these people are this is the government look at them they, they're all lawyers and doctors and all that these are these are the people that we consider to be the elite so they should know what do you mean there isn't but do you know it's, it's funny isn't it like for me they're they're the elite through finance through finance only just because they've got cash like Literally, it, it does it does blow my mind and i know like it's it's that weird thing like where once you fucking see something you can't unsee it like you know like if someone totally. shows you like um, one of those optical illusions where it's two faces or is it a vase in the middle and once you've yeah. seen once you've seen the fucking vase you'll never see anything you'll never just go back to seeing the two faces yeah. like the fact that people put so much trust in doctors and lawyers and politicians like it fucking blows my mind that people but this is do that. I mean, you know, having, I mean, I might have had a bit more trust in doctors if I hadn't spent the last sort of five years with someone that's been in and out of hospital and the doctor's been absolutely fucking useless. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, but, you, we, we, we rely on these things. I think this movie's putting that forward. I think there's a very clear reason why Barry Niles wears a suit every day. He's obsessed with the way he's dressed. There's, there's a specific look that he carries. Um, it's part of his portrayal of authority, right? The way that he deals with Elena, he always deals with Elena as if he is more powerful, and yeah. he's not. You know, no, what I mean, he knows better, and he's not. The way we see the Institute, right, as a viewer, is very much like Elena sees the Institute as this massive structure, this building with people and rooms and all the rest. But when she escapes, it's pretty empty. There's no one else working there. Mm. It's hollow, right? It's hollow. So the more you start, the more she starts to explore into the institute when she escapes she realizes very quickly that very much like a government not having a plan for brexit there isn't anything there all the walls that she has built up are things that she has been told that yeah. she must stay in this cage she must conform a certain way she must act a certain way because these authority figures know better they know more and so when the veneer of barry starts to slip and he dresses in the weird suit so he, he basically throws off his suit because he's losing his grip on power. And when mm. people lose their grip on power, they do things that are desperate. And he becomes yeah. maniacal and he reaches out and he's so deluded with his his sense of power, 
He's lived in this confine of I am in, I am in control, I am in charge. I know what's happening. I am the master of my own domain. That when he finally does confront her, he realizes he's actually fucking powerless, mm. and she overthrows him. And it's this idea of that as well. It's this idea of overthrowing the shackles of authority or moving beyond the way the world structure things. The great, the great thing about this movie is it ultimately ends on one of the most important shots of the movie because during her time in the box in the cage that she's in the way she consumes information is through the tv right that's the this is how she her link to the outside world is what is shown to her on television the yeah. final shot of this movie is her coming out on a town which are basically houses self-contained like the unit that she was in and what's shining in the windows the tv so even in the free world people are still fed information in their own little confines by television. Yeah. I think it's such a I think it's such a powerful statement. I think it's I think it's really 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 well done and it is yes people could argue it's subtle. I think it is. I think the lack of dialogue in here whilst it frustrates you and I know plenty of people that have told me there's just nothing happening in this movie. Um I can kind of see that, but I think it's 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 a deliberate choice to create a world where you are almost sitting in silence, very much like Elena, trying to figure out the world that you're in. Um, and I think it's put, you know, very much in this confine of all the information you get is given to you by Barry Niles. He he is he is the he is the the narrator of this story. He is your he is your doctor, he is your politician, he is you know, whatever it is, he is your authority figure. And as the movie goes on, you realise very, very quickly that this authority figure is not what you think he is. Um I think he's a wonderfully tragic character as well. He's not a likable character at all. But he's and I think you're right as well. I think uh, Michael Rogers plays a fucking blinder in this movie. It's a, a tremendous performance. But what you get from him is this character that thought he would be something more. He started this journey believing he would be something more than what he actually ended up being. Mm. You know, he'd really put his life into the institute and it failed him failed him because he wasn't he wasn't the chosen person he wasn't that he wasn't the right person for the job and as such he has become mentally shattered and at the same time constructed it in his own brain that he did so he's just yeah. he's living the lie he is the he is the pair i listened to recently this podcast called dr death it's fucking amazing go and listen to it um which is basically about a neurosurgeon who was not good at all. He knew he wasn't a great surgeon and all the rest, but he just kept feeling that if he could just keep working on people, he would get better at it. And he killed and maimed 33 people in Texas. Um, and no one would speak out because, yeah. because you know, Texas. Um, but he's a flawed cat. Like, on some level, I genuinely think he thought he was doing the right thing. Mm. And these were just surgeries that, you know, happened to go wrong. Uh, yeah. But if you listen to his colleagues, his colleagues are like that. No, this guy's a fucking killer. He's a butcher. What he did was maim, cripple, and kill people. Knowingly did this because he had this god complex. Because he passed university um, with this degree, he believed that that bit of paper made him qualified to do the things that he was doing. Uh, and some people aren't. 
and this is this is what I love about this is what I love about these sort of movies is that yeah, like you are right. There there are issues with the pace in this movie. It could be an hour and a half, and we could take out some of these things. But then I think we lose some of what the movie gives us, which is like this incredible fucking score. This kind of 80s synthwave score. Now remember, this is 2010. So this is before this is popular. Panos is already putting this in his movie. Yeah. I will also say, think about Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Upon this watch this time, this, like, Stranger Things, you owe um, a lot to this movie, and if the directors haven't seen Beyond the Black Rainbow, I'm going to question it, because Elena yeah. might as well be 11. You know what I mean? As a character yeah, who, totally, who yeah. escapes yep. an institute, uh, yep. who has these telekinetic powers with fucking synthwaves, and they're in the same year as well. Uh, Stranger Things and um, Beyond the Black Rainbow are both set in 1983. Um... Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? It's. I think this movie is so ahead of its time. I think this movie comes out, like, last year or the year before. People are, like, spunking their loads and losing their shit to this movie. <laughs> I think it just comes out too early, and I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think people can pivot. But that's what I see when I see in this movie. I see this movie about uh, authority um, and structure and how hollow that actually is and when you it, it's the it's the Wizard of Oz thing when you peek behind the curtain um, you realise that there is no there is no great magician there is no great one power um, it's, it's a wee man with a microphone uh, you know what I mean it's, it's that that's how I look at the movie now I don't know if for one second if anything I have said there changes your opinion on this movie or makes you think it's better done or if it still comes across as a kind of ponderous kind of long-winded story which maybe doesn't explain things all that great and you know maybe is too long and devoid of of um, dialogue but when I watch this movie I look at it as this like I say it's like this this weird mesh of of kind of like videodrome, this idea of you know technology and and um, like the the new flesh, this ability to transcend and become something new, mixed with you know like the, the kind of monolithic design set out in two thousand and one, a space odyssey. Mm. That that's how I look at the movie. Um, I don't know if that resonates with you at all. If it gives you any food for thought, what do you think? Yeah, I do really appreciate the metaphor, actually. I hadn't really looked into that. Uh, I hadn't really thought about that, um, about the whole thing of, you know, consuming through media and how we are all consuming things through media. And, like, that's a great way that you've looked at it and kind of flip it on because, like, you know, I'm really into that kind of thing anyway. I don't really necessarily think I would have got that from the film at all. Um, now yeah. you've pointed it out, it, yeah, obviously it does seem obvious that that is what's happening and... It just takes a fucking long time to get there with that. It, it um, does. It does. I mean, it's well, a great, can, can I don't I... Know, read um, a book on disobedience by Eric Fromm. By... I have not, but it comes up a lot in discussions on Beyond the Black Rainbow. It comes up loads. There's, there's the one thing that appears most regular if you do searches into the explanations behind Beyond the Black Rainbow, Fromm's book comes up. Oh, that's interesting then, isn't it? <laughs> I've kind of made that connection. Yeah, it's good. It's, I mean, it's I'm, one, that's I'm, one that's used a lot in yeah. in references to the book. They they claim that he's basically this is like a, a filmic interpretation of what he states out in the book. See, that's a fucking weird coincidence because I didn't know that. 
um, that's just the book that I'm really into and I didn't actually realise that at all because I've only ever the only literally the only thing I've looked at on this film is, is the Wikipedia entry just because I wanted to run through the plot synopsis yeah. so that's really fucking interesting um, because basically that whole kind of thing it's a collection of essays basically um, talking about how human history began with an act of disobedience and any great changes that we've had in our society have basically arose from people standing up and going actually no I'm not doing that I'm not going to fucking sit at the back of the bus. I'm not going to drink from you know from that water fountain. It's for everyone that kind of thing. Um, and also, he hypothesises as well that it's not unlikely um, that human society or human history will be terminated by an act of obedience. Yeah. You know, give me the fucking codes to launch the nuclear bomb. All right, then here you go. Instead of going the fuck off. No, not drink doing the it. Yeah, drink the fucking Kool Aid. Like there's, there's that amazing line in. Um, Fargo season two where one of his commanders wanted them to, to, to I can't remember exactly what it is but one of his like commanding officers in the army wanted him to do something and one of the other commanders went we're not fucking doing that and he yeah. says and I can send that guy a Christmas card every year and I send him one because I can because mm. he fucking said no to my commanding officer we're not fucking doing that because we're all going to fucking die so no and yeah just this whole thing about like people are so fucking obedient and that's one of the other things that like blows my mind people just fucking do stuff because because they fucking do stuff like they're, they're, they're not questioning anything they're just doing it because they've always done it that way like it's weird to me even like there's there's just little things that sometimes annoy me like you know if like someone walks to a zebra like in the zebra crossing where you fucking press the button for the for the green man yeah and they don't check the road first to see if the road's empty they just press the button because mm-hmm. you don't need to fucking press the button if the road's empty, do you? You can just cross the no, road. No, you can just cross. Yeah, you can just cross. But these people are so on fucking autopilot their whole fucking lives that they the first thing they do when they get to the crossing is press that button. It's like the road's empty, buddy. You could have just crossed. But they're so like they're just not. There's no fucking thought there. And for me, like just little things like you know, like it's fucking three o'clock in the morning and you're mm-hmm. driving back from somewhere and there's a fucking and there's a red traffic light. Like you don't have to stop at that. You can you can go like if there's literally nobody around and you're not going to cause an accident. You don't have to stop at that red traffic light. Like it's just yeah. a fucking cluster of LEDs telling you what to do. You can fucking go through it on red if you want. Like, but yeah, like everyone's just so fucking obedient to everything. And so you telling me that there's a big connection in this film to that book? Yes. All of a sudden, instantly elevates the book. <laughs> instantly elevates the film for me because yeah, it's like it's one of the most popular. There's there's reams and reams of it on YouTube on, on and I will you know, now the, go and internet. I'll now go and investigate that once you finish recording because I'm so yeah. interested to see that but that's um, you've made that connection because in a lot of respects like you've made that connection I've never read the book but you know the, ultimately that's the same level that I come into on this one is that you know it's someone rebelling against the the structure that's set in front of her um, yeah you know, to, to get out and like the the idea that the structure itself is a facade. Um, mm. There's a really great interview this week, I think it was, or it was last week. I can't remember because time flies so quickly for me. Um, on the Joe Rogan podcast, which I listen to from time to time, but Darren Brown was on it, and yeah, I, I love. I kind of handpick those and listen to just the, just the ones I'm kind of interested in. Yeah, well, Darren Brown recently appeared um, in the last like I want to say it's the last couple of days. It's okay. a fascinating interview with him speaking mm. in a, in a lot of terms about this very thing about how people just assume 
and take things on face value and don't think for themselves. Well, Darren Brown like famously can convince people to do really crazy shit, and I've only ever watched one of them because I think it like as, as clever as it is what he does i think it just frustrates me because it just kind of reminds me of just how manipula manipulatable mani- easy to manipulate is that what's yep. the word for that just uh, mani- manipulatable no manipulative that's it no but for someone that's easily manipulated like like just humans are just so yeah. fucking easily manipulated it, like yeah and I think it frustrates me to the point where I can't watch them Darren Brown things because I just think, for fuck's sake, like he's just made you fucking rob a fucking, you know, security van in broad daylight. Oh, yeah. Are you, are you insane just because they fucking heard a song that triggered them? And it's incredibly clever that Darren Brown can make people do that. I mean, I think that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, for me, like just harking back to something like when Jesus was on the scene, I just think he was just like Darren Brown. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, he didn't really turn water into wine. He didn't really do these miraculous things. I don't think because I don't believe in that. I just think G- Jesus Christ was this incredible fucking person that was just so good at manipulating people. And I'm not necessarily saying that he's in, that in a malicious way. I'm sure he was an all-loving, you know, guy. But there are people out there that are just incredibly good at manipulating. Markers, Andy. Yeah. Anyone that does marketing for a living specifically knows how to do something, to package something, to brand something, a message that just goes, you know, gets in your brain and it connects with huge swaths of the population. Absolutely. And I think if that kind of thing frustrates me, like we we were in Leicester, um, like I don't live in Leicester anymore, I live sort of about 10 miles outside Leicester. I don't really go there anymore apart from to work. Mm-hmm. And and we did go there the other, uh, probably a couple of months ago now, um, to the like, sort of the big shopping centre. And there were people queuing outside the Apple store and they had like a yep. fucking doorman, like it was some fucking pub. Yep. And it was one out, one in. And the yep. people were, and there was literally 30 people queuing. And I just think, wow, like, Dude, I've got an entire household full of Apple products, and that's not because Apple products are the best products, because they're not. Um, And I openly know they're not, because I I do my due diligence like anyone else, and I I know what products have better cameras, better processors, and all the rest. But, you know, Apple got really slickly into their branding with me early on, in that (laughs) if you are an artistic person with artistic pursuits... um, an iMac is what you should be using, so that's what I bought. Um, And then everything else in the household is structured around that. Because I I like my life to be easy where everything's compatible. But yeah, are they the best things? No. I got the new phone as soon as it came out, and I'm like, that. Why? my existing phone is perfect. It works, it does everything I want. As soon as that new model came out and I could upgrade it, I needed to get that phone. Um, And was frustrated when, you know, the lack of communication, I had to wait like three days for it. And I, you would have you would have thought someone had basically taken away my right to vote or my right to <laughs> protest or so. That's how that's yeah. how angry I was, and it, yeah. it shows how conditioned we are as people. And I think it's crazy. I'm going to tell you about with with Amazon. Like apparently they don't make any money from Prime. It's just that more you spend more money if you have Prime. Apparently yeah. on average it's about five hundred pounds a year more yeah. that you would spend on Amazon if you've got Prime. Just because people go, well, fucking hell. If I have to wait a week for that, I don't want it. But if I can have it tomorrow, I'll have two of them. Is that, like, what the yeah. fuck is that? It's the and there's a distribution centre. Like the distribution centre is about five miles from my house. Mm-hmm. One of one of their distribution centres. So there's certain things that you can order, and they come the same fucking day. Yeah, if I order before midday certain items, I'll have it before ten o'clock at night. Fuck. And that has caused me to buy Blu-rays that I didn't want. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've kind of started steering away now from these like special collectors editions of things. My dog keeps sighing, by the way, next to me. That's not me again. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, isn't it, buddy? Are you fed up? Right. So, like, the, the special collectors edition of the Arrow stuff, like, I got the Candyman one through the other day, and I've not opened <laughs> it. Actually, I'm probably just going to sell that and buy the regular version when it comes out in the sale. Like, it's got a poster that I'll never put up. It's got art cards that I'll never look at. It's got a book that I'll never read. And then the film. And then the film, which I will watch a lot. And I'll watch all the special features, the interviews, the documentaries. I'll watch all that shit. Do I need the art cards, the poster, and and, and the booklet? No, I don't actually, because I'll never fucking read or use or watch any of them. It's Um, to entice people people to, to embrace physical media. But I fucking bought it, didn't I? Like, do you know what of I mean? Of course, your dad did it as well. Like, it cost yeah. me, it cost me a pound because of my arrow points. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, I wouldn't have spent twenty five quid on it. It was because I had loads of arrow points. Um, and what I kind of tend to do now with arrow stuff is that because I know it'll be about seven pounds in a year's time in their mm-hmm. sale. Um, so I just kind of earmark them and just go, right, that's brilliant. I'll, I'll get that in a year when they do like three, you know, five for thirty quid or whatever in HMV. Yeah. I do the same. Like, yeah. I, only, I only buy the collector's editions day one now, and very yeah. seldom, unless it's a movie that I really want to see, I uh, very if seldom. If it's a movie that I really want to see, then I will. It's, it tends to be they're not new release films, are they? So I can I can kind of wait. Like Blade Runner, I really wanted to watch again, so I bought that. Mandy, I really want to watch, so I'll buy that when it comes out. Um, Halloween, I'll buy. Hereditary, I'll buy, because I want to watch it again. It's but interesting you mention own... Blade Runner, right? Because... In a lot of respects, Beyond the Black Rainbow exists in a similar kind of world to Blade Runner, if you know what I mean, in terms of the way it tells a story. Specifically the new Blade Runner movie, because that was the big gripe about the new Blade Runner movie was there really wasn't a lot of plot going on in that movie. I disagree wholly. I do, I I do now. Plot. On, on, on second watch, like I say, um, it's... As, as, as far as me, I mean, I said that Hereditary was my movie of the year. It was my horror movie of the year. My movie yeah, yeah. of the year, for like all genres aside, is Blade Runner. Yeah, it's incredible. Fucking hell, it's man. It's on it? a different. It's on a different level. That that movie, that movie to me, is almost. It's almost unfair how good that movie is to yeah. other movies. If you know what I mean, it's like I feel. I I feel sorry for other filmmakers. Like it, yeah, it, and, and it's it was a perfect example of me when I watch a film with preconceived notions, and then I go back and watch it again. And sometimes it doesn't hurt a film, like mm-hmm. Mad Max uh, Fury Road, for example, was loads better than I thought it'd be. Um, yeah. Halloween was loads better than I thought it'd be. Blade Runner wasn't. It wasn't that it wasn't as good as I thought it'd be. It it was just so different to how I thought it'd be in my mind. Mm-hmm. I've struggled with it and I, we've talked about this before I think we talked about it actually on the Halloween review like you know your preconceived notions of what your film is going to be uh, what you think a film is going to be like it'll either be loads better than you thought it was loads worse than you thought it was or or so different to how you thought it was that you can't really fully form an opinion yet because you kind of it throws you off and that's what Blade Runner did to me like I watched it I sat through it I kind of thought oh, right okay Mm, I don't know what to think and then I watched it the second time and it's almost like I had to slap myself in the face and go what were you thinking the first how did you not fucking love it immediately like what's yeah. wrong with you um, yeah I and mood, I love it so I think mood plays a lot into that as well though I think it's not even preconceived notions sometimes you need to be in a 
a certain mood to like w linking it back to here. Beyond the Black Rainbow is not a movie I can just switch on anytime and sit and watch. No. I, I, I have to be in the mood for a deliberately paced visual treat because that's yeah. what the movie is. Um, I, I mean, there's a, a deliberate use of pyramids, pyramid structures in here as well, which on some level, I mean, you can link that back to the, was it, um, is it Freud or is it Jung that had the, you know, the, the, the self, the three parts that make the self for the create a triangle? Um, there's there's that aspect, so you can, like maybe that's not what Panos is trying to do here, but like I read that into this 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 kind of institute that deals with science and evolution and technology and nature. There, I, to me, there's deliberate reasons why there's pyramids in here. Um, I, I mean, other things in here which I think are just, I mean, even down to the fact that you know um, Elena is forced to see herself. Like every 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 panel in here is you know reflects her image back, so she is only seen herself. And the same as like Barry Niles is consumed by how he looks. Yeah, you know this this view of himself as well uh, being projected back. I think you know that there's deliberate reasons behind that that I would love to do more investigation into. Um, yeah. I think one of the coolest things in this movie this movie levels up for me with the Sentinels. Um, the basic these giant kind of Daft Punk looking biker people that are basically the, the, the faces of ch your children okay. um, I think that is fucking amazing you know that the, the, these are what he calls to deliver his you know his uh, his justice he sends these people out um, almost these three trials that Elena needs to get through to escape including the one where the, there's this guy who appears to be limbless who's crawling after her, like, you know, these ideas as well. I think the movie is, like, rich in these details as well, but it's still not something I could just shove on for, you know, it's a Friday night, you know, I'm going to kick back with a couple of beers and beyond the Black Rainbow. That's not this movie. Um, you need to be in the right frame of mind to sit down. Blade Runner is exactly the same. You can't just throw on Blade Runner and just sit and... You know, like play with my phone or you know do bits and bobs around the house. I'm a Blade Runner. It's a, it's a movie that demands full attention from start to finish. Yeah. Um, and I, in a lot of respects, to me, even though you were saying earlier on, there are scenes where Elena is you know we're looking at her, and you could probably go away, make a cup of tea, and come back, and you know the the plot's not moved along. Um, I love those scenes. I love these really long shot scenes of you know her basically either looking at the TV and seeing these weird old kind of 40s cartoons as a, as a way to transcribe what's happening in the world or her link to the outside world or you know her conversations or one-sided conversations with, with Barry Nels who's obsessed who's just staring at her um, because this is his project his, this is his pet and he controls her and he is like even down to the fact that when she finally escapes I love the escape as well because it's all these weird um, cube-shaped rooms, and she's crawling through squares and like they're once again deliberately use of geometric shapes uh, yeah. to, to escape. The last room that she comes to before she escapes is basically this tatty old room with a an 80s-looking couch, um, you know, like a, a, a 
shit refrigerator in the corner and all the rest. And this is the last room. This is the last part. This is what the real world is. Everything else has been the facade. These glossy, clean, you know, uh, corridors. These neon lights and all the rest are these examples of this false kind of authority of this structure, of this facade, that this institute is more than it is, which is, you know, this institute has ultimately failed. It didn't do what it was set to do. Um, it, it could never do it. And it's been left in the hands of someone who is basically straddling the thin line of sanity. And when she escapes into the real world um, and, and Niles tracks her down and Niles is so obsessed, not on getting her back to the institute or anything like that but the people he comes across he's he is obsessed that they have deflowered her they have removed her innocence they have fucked her that's his exact words before he kills the the kind of more rotund uh kind of rock guys you fucked yeah. her you fucked her like this um and he uh, you know it's this idea of like you have ruined you have ruined her you've ruined the thing that is mine you've ruined you know like that this is and I think that's all wonderful as well. I think the if we just pivot back, even just into terms of just movie qualities, it's beautifully fucking shot. It's beautifully lit. The score is phenomenal. I actually love the script for what how very little there actually is of it. Um, but even even kind of swinging that out a bit further, the practical effects in this movie are phenomenal. Like yeah. the the, the kind of the Carrie esque head explosion crush thing is great the the actual knife scenes the devil's tear i think you called it or whatever it was um, apparently yeah yeah like the, the way he like stabs at people i think those effects are great and you don't get much of them but they're used in the right way they, they stand out they're jarring against the movie um i love the scenes of him driving in that car which could be a delorean but i'm sure it isn't um <laughs> you know I, I love that as well and once again there's like the the scenes of him sitting in the car interacting with his crazy self um, is not too dissimilar to the scenes of Nicolas Cage sitting in the car at the end of Mandy interacting with the ghost of Mandy herself. Um, I, 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 I love it. I think I think it's such a clever... Mandy's the better movie. <laughs> like, well, let's not get... Let's, let's not set up a, like, a false paradigm of what I think overall. Mandy is by far the better movie. But this is a debut movie and I think it is densely packed with a lot of subtext in here. Yes, it is a bit light on the on the the kind of the superficial level. Um, there isn't much to hang your hat on here. It's a basic story that we've seen before of a guy who has it's like it's like a fairy tale. It's like someone who's imprisoned a princess who is desperate to escape, um, and the evil character is trying to stop her at all costs. Uh, but she will escape and she will find her freedom. But the bittersweet note that the movie ends up that the freedom that she thinks she's going to get by returning to society is that society is basically her, but free to walk around. You know, they can go back to their cage whenever they want, but they will go back to their cage and consume from the TV. I think is a wonderfully dark ending for the movie. And that's just how I see it. I think it's a, I think it's a great movie. Um, do you have some kind of closing thoughts on Beyond the Black Rainbow before I ask you for a grade? Um, yeah, it's funny because talking about it, obviously, it's, it's, it kicks off quite an interesting conversation just in general. Um, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that makes me like the film anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. It just makes me appreciate it a lot more. And I think the problem is I could re-watch this movie um, and I don't think I would... I, I still don't think it would make me turn... To, to the things that you've said because it's almost like I understand I, I totally appreciate those things are in there 
but watching the film a second time, I don't think would, would add anything to you telling me about it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's sufficient for you to go. Actually, Andy, this is what's happening. And I go, oh god, yeah, it is. But watching the film again, I think the film frustrates me too much to be able to spend another hour and fifty minutes kind of watching watching through it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if it wasn't for for Mandy, I might give this film a second go. But for me, like all this film makes me want to do is rewatch Mandy. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because it kind of Mandy does almost everything that this film does just with a much better story much better narrative better dialogue more interesting scenes more action more catharsis like all the things I like about this film are also in Mandy but that's just a fucking great film so it's almost like I don't really feel I need to probably ever watch this again because I've Mm -hmm. I've kind of by talking to you I've got everything I need to get out of it in, in, in the conversation that we've had I don't need to see the film again for that, you know, to, to, to get any more out of it than I already have, I don't think. Nice, nice. So you've but, answered uh, my next question, which was, has anything I've... Again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, has anything I've said made you want to watch that movie back? And there will be that. I think that that's... There's almost a false equivalency in doing these shows as well, in that I am fully aware that a lot of what I will spout out about movies, just in general is captivating, you know, and I'm not being big-headed, but the, you know, it sparks the imagination and it sparks conversation. And I speak about movies quite passionately anyway, especially the ones I really like. Um, yeah. I get plenty of people telling me, you know, I watched this movie because you spoke so highly of it and then I watched it and it wasn't very good. And I'm like, <laughs> that, well, my grade didn't say the movie was very good. I gave it yeah. a three. Um, but yeah, but you sounded so enthusiastic when talking about it and I'm like, well, that's the purpose of a podcast is to talk enthusiastically about something. Who wants to listen to someone sounding bored? You know what I mean? That's part and parcel of it. But there is that idea of you you have to weigh that up. Has what I said made you want to go back through an hour and 50 minutes? Especially if what you've said is your biggest issue here in this movie is the dead air. the, 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 The kind of the dead space that the movie occupies which kind of drags it down for you. And, you know, if I've relayed that message to you and you can connect that to the movie and you kind of agree, maybe that's what it's doing, um, and you want to then go out and look at, like, um, like the works of From and stuff like that and how that connects back to theories on the movie, you can do that on the internet without watching the movie again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can do it. You can certainly do it that way. So yeah. I totally get that. I will also say you are not wrong in wanting to go back and watch Mandy. That is a movie everyone should watch several times because it is amazing that movie is so 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 good um, yeah I heard your review of it like you know you know when Nicolas Cage does his like grief scream oh yeah, I loved it okay. anyone Actually, else anyone else it wouldn't have made me laugh it's just yeah. because I've watched fucking Con Air and I've watched Face Off and yeah. you know what I mean and it's just it's it, it's it's cage rage and it's hilarious like yeah. I've got no issue with the way the grief was expressed and for me like in horror films that's the one thing that will fucking like ruin me now like nothing mm. really scares me anymore particularly um, you know nothing shocks me I don't jump at jump scares I mean yeah. we've talked about this this phrase that I kind of coined is the jump scare generation which yes. me and you had kind of a bit of a debate on but I've kind of settled in my mind on the fact that the jump scare generation for me is basically people who um, they rank how good a film was on how much it made them jump yeah Oh, that film was fucking great. I was jumping loads. So no, they're, they're just loud noises, buddy. That's that's like 
jump scares does not a good horror film make. No, it's a technique. It's a technique just as it's a technique. Um, so it's a technique just saying, as good like, as practical effects or score yeah. or acting or anything. Um, it's just a part of an over, part, uh, you know, an overarching parcel, and you can't give a movie. Uh, well, I, I'm not going to say you can because you can do whatever you want. It's not, yeah. I, I don't. But, but for me, like if someone tells me, if someone recommends a film to me and it's, it was brilliant because of how much it made them jump, then I'm not interested. Like that for me, that's not a justifiable reason for a good film. Anyway, what I was saying um, about like grief, like if yeah. someone like really like expresses grief in a really fucking disturbing way. It just it fucking ruins me. Like, yeah. in, Hereditary is literally the greatest one I've ever seen. Oh yeah, Hereditary like, had like you could not only could you hear a pin drop the two times I saw it in the cinema, but it was... to the point where I will wind through that scene or mute it when I watch it again. Yeah, it's, it's harrowing. It's like, I, I had a pit in my stomach, and I and felt, I haven't even got kids. Oh. Do you know what I mean? I've not mm. even got and it fucking bothered me that much do you know, do you know what the second one is <laughs> we're not, I've not got a third that I can think of but I was watching that Once Were Warriors if you, you haven't seen that have you it's like no, a no, really yeah, it, yeah. famous like, New Zealand film yeah and there's a scene in that um, where the mother's like cries of grief are just like oh god fucking mute the telly I can't fucking that's horrendous like I can't yeah. listen to it um, yeah I can't even remember what we were fucking talking about <laughs> we even got to that um, oh yeah, Nicholas Cage in his fucking grief scream. No, but he's great. Like he is really fucking good in it. Nicholas Cage. Um, you know, and it's weird because he's very hit and miss. I think sometimes like he's really good in something, and then sometimes he's really bad in something. I heard a I heard a theory about this recently. It was on the um, the Shockwaves podcast, um, and they were interviewing Panos Cosmotos like specifically about Mandy. And uh, yeah. once again, Elric Kane, who's a guy that I genuinely think his tastes align very much with mine. He's very much into his art house horror and, and stuff like that. And I love the way he speaks about cinema in general. He's very passionate. Um, he had this theory about Nicolas Cage, which I think is probably true, and that Panos kind of agreed with him. And that I don't think Nicolas Cage ever turns in a bad performance. I think it's a, the, the director doesn't know how to use him. Yeah, so like Wicker Man, you know I mean? it's just bad direction. Like, don't yeah. do that, Nicholas. Don't don't flare your nostrils. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, he does. He comes in with a specific view of how he's going to do a character, and if you don't at that point say, you know, maybe we yeah, don't do that. Scene, you, basically, yeah. haven't you? you've got a raining back in and just go. No, yeah, no, no. If you no, don't no, do no, that. No. That's what you get, and then we sit there and go, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so yeah. you know, it's a bit like apparently you heard the story in the original, the first Terminator film. Um, Arnie suggested to James Cameron that after he like breaks into uh, Sarah's apartment and kills her flatmate and her, and her boyfriend, mm-hmm. that the Terminator goes to the goes to the fridge, has a drink of beer, and then stumbles around a bit pissed for a minute. What the fuck right? is wrong with you, Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> and James Cameron went, "Shut the fuck up!" No. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is, like. In Terminator 3 and onwards, they didn't have a strong fucking a strong yeah. person like James Cameron to rein in the, the fucking behemoth that is Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the charisma, the personality, the, you know, the, the size, just the sheer physical size of the man. People haven't got the people daren't fucking rein him in like that and go, right, Arnold, that's a shit idea, mate. Like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? 
Whereas James Cameron in 1984 with Arnold Schwarzenegger only doing a couple of movies could easily say to him, that's the shit idea. Don't fucking mention anything like that again. Yeah. And that's what is, isn't it? Cage is now so big and so fucking famous. It is probably difficult for some directors to rein him in and go, right, tone that down. Yeah. Because that's insane. Whereas, like, fortunately, Mandy um, necessitates that kind of acting. And and he and he kind of gets the perfect balance of humor. Hum- he wanted to do it as well. He wasn't like originally Cage was cast as the cult leader, right? Okay. And he come back and said, "No, I'm not the cult leader. I'm Red. Yeah, that's yeah. who I am. That's who I am. That's who I want it's to weird, be." Because it's a real humanity to Red that you can really relate to. And without that, the film kind of doesn't work. Because if you're not completely on board with Mandy and Red's relationship you're not really that bothered when horrendous stuff happens to her. But as yeah. it happens, like you spend a good 20 minutes with them just doing this, the kind of shit that people do within the privacy of their own home. Yeah. You know, not, not, not the kind of relationship you see in Hollywood films, but the kind of real fucking relationship that you see in human, actual fucking real life. Yeah. And they nail that perfectly. And that's why I think the film works so well. Um, so yeah, I can't fault Nicholas Cage's performance. Aside from me laughing out loud at his grief scream just because it was so over the top, Nicholas Cage. And I, like, I was like, I was saying to you, I was the exact opposite. I got, I got chills when he did it when I was watching. I got it, like, chills, right, for oh. the first like three seconds of it, <laughs> but it lasted about five seconds, and the extra two <laughs> seconds of me laugh. If you had to cut it off after three seconds, it's just that he kind of went, ah, and like, and just as the scream's dying off, he kind of rips it back into, and that's, that's it. That's the only criticism I've got. I mean, I fucking love it. It's probably my, um, I don't know, top, maybe top three for the year, Mandy, which is weird. Isn't Ma- it? Mandy's definitely top three for me. And it's, Not weird it for was... you, but weird for me with the type of films I normally am into. Like, it's, it was just a huge fucking breath of fresh air for me, Mandy, mm. like, like I can't said. wait to see what he does next. I, I, like yeah. Panos to me is like, I, and I, the, the danger is he because he gets so consumed by his projects and goes away and spends so much time doing them. The danger is we have to wait like another eight years for another one. I mean, it's eight years between his feature debut to Mandy. We might have to wait another eight years to see Thing another. Is, like, I'd much prefer that than just knock out another film because the studio are up his ass with a fucking flow, yeah. you know, yeah. blowtorch saying, come on, like, we've got a release date in mind. It's like, no, fuck off. Once I've got the film ready, I'll let you know and we'll fucking do it. And that's kind of how it should be. And I think that's how films, not necessarily used to be, but people weren't given these massive time restrictions they're on now and forced to, you know, we've this thing of like having a release date for a film before you've even cast everyone. Oh, yeah, that to me. Someone you can't put someone under that kind of pressure and expect to get a decent film. You just can't. And that's why sequels are shit in general. You know, they are. Agreed, agreed. So my last question to you then is, um, grade. So Netflix grades, it feels appropriate. I kind of feel like technical grades on art house movies, um, don't always necessarily equate to because like from technical points of view you're really looking at you know movies art house movies tend to score higher technically than they do on a feeling because yeah, they're usually would, very well shot very well acted and all the rest and yeah you know, i think this was like i think that central performance was great i think sonically it was brilliant there's this weird fucking drone all the way through the movie that's incredibly unsettling and when the score yeah. kicks in that's really effective it's shot amazing it's really well lit yeah, so technically, this it's is... Like, yeah. And yeah, this is great. where my, 
Netflix grades. This is why I always slump back to him because I like to go and I, I genuinely like to grade movies and feelings. Um, there's plenty of other shows out there can do technical things and dissect all those things. I think we can talk about them, but at the end, ultimately, I want to know what you felt about the movie. So, using the the Netflix grades, one hated it, two didn't like it, three liked it, four really liked it, and five loved it. What do you give Beyond the Black Rainbow? Right down the middle, two and a half. Two and a half, right? There we go. It was a two. It was a two. You've managed to elevate it an extra half point um, <laughs> by what we've talked about. I can't elevate it to a three because uh, I just I was too frustrated by it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, that's fair. And for me, like frustration's never really a thing you want to associate with a movie. Like you know, anything that's frustrating, stripping wallpaper is frustrating. I don't particularly like doing it. Yeah. Um, this film frustrated me to the point where even despite the clarification on, on what was happening, I, I still don't want to go back and watch it again. So I can't say that I liked it, but also to say that I really didn't like it is a bit unfair because there were certain aspects to it that I really liked and it really made me just want to watch Mandy again. So there's something there that evokes some kind of positive response. Um, so yeah, I've got to go down the middle with two and a half. Nice, nice. For me, this movie scores a four. I really like this movie. Um, I think there's there's tons of things in here which will, unlike you, will keep me coming back to watch it. Um, I recently purchased it on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, it has no proper UK release, so I had to order it from America. Um, it looks amazing in Blu-ray, uh, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, it looks it looks incredible. Are there uh, any but special that's, that's... on Mandy, by the way? On, on the Mandy Blu-rays, is it just the film or is it extra? Uh, I haven't even delved into that. If it's like the Beyond the Black Rainbow, there ain't nothing at all no. in there. There's a deleted scene, but there's no talks with the no. director. I get a feeling there probably isn't because it's a HMV exclusive. Okay. So it's not like I feel, I think if you get like a like a studio release no, really or something like that, they'll cram it. Yeah, but, okay. Yep. Uh, right, there we go. That's our first movie down. Uh, we're going to take our final break. When we come back, we're closing out the show and we're going to be doing it right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back. So you've listened to the debut of Andy Loves Art House. Uh, and you were right down the middle with this one. Beyond the Black Rainbow scoring a 2.5 out of 5 on the Netflix scale. But we have one under our belt. Now we have covered that one movie, Andy. The first one of what will be an interesting journey. Um, are you excited to keep going down this? I, I don't I don't want to... like. It's one of these things where... Uh, are you already, after watching this movie, are you already seeing the writings on the wall? And you're like, that. Oh, there might be... The next five movies may be beyond the black rainbow <laughs> like, yeah the, I, think, I think the conversation we had alone is enough um, to make me definitely want to keep going um, the, the show should probably be called Andy's beginning to appreciate Art House more and more um, <laughs> roll off whether Andy loves Art House by the end of, of this experiment I'm not sure uh, Andy certainly <laughs> loves some Art House I mean like I say I like Mother Hereditary Under the Skin no is it Under the Skin with um, yeah Under the Skin yeah, yeah with the, it's Art House, house, house Gates my friend yeah, so Andy loves some art house. Um, Andy just just missed the mark with this one. What are we doing next? Enter the void. Yeah, this is this is this has got this is almost one hundred percent guaranteed to be a 
why the fuck have you made me watch this movie, Duncan? Um, <laughs> it's, it's almost it's almost guaranteed. So yeah, the next movie that we'll cover, um, and I will wait and see how time falls. I would like to try and do these once a month, but next month is December, uh, which is notoriously difficult for everyone and plus like show schedules and all the rest if we can get it done it would be great it might land in january so just be warned uh, the movie is enter the void directed by <laughs> one of the more polarizing figures in cinema gaspar noe um i think this was his follow-up to irreversible Oh God, there's um, not a fucking 15 minute rape, is there? There isn't, but it's trippy AF. Um, hey, so it, trippy AF, check out, have you seen the pictures I sent you of my wallpaper? I have not, I will check it. Have a look, have Dear a look. God almighty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like an Asian brothels sort of kind of <laughs> wallpaper. It's fucking mental, isn't it? That, that was my, my whole kitchen was in that first one. Jesus, this is why people do drugs, Andy. Yeah. Someone must have been fucking doing drugs at home <laughs> in my house. Yeah. So, Enter the Void is Gaspar Noe. Um, it came out in 2009. Uh, synopsis for it is, a French drug dealer living in Tokyo is betrayed by his best friend and killed in a drug deal. His soul, observing the repercussions of his death, seeks resurrection. So, yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nice and easy one, that one. Light and content. It is an hour and 60 minutes long, so strap yourself in. Shit, okay. So, sorry, no, 160 minutes long, sorry. So that's two hour, two and a half hours? Fucking hell, don't you? It's going to be so much fun. Um, so, yeah, that's our next movie, Enter the Void. So try and track down a copy, ladies and gents, and uh, get yourself ready as we come back and see if Andy does indeed love Art House. Now, there's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, I say check us out on Apple Podcasts. Come across, subscribe to the feed. That way you get the shows as and when they drop and you get access to the entire back catalogue of Teapot's content. Don't stop there, though. Leave us a rating and a review. Ratings are super important. Five stars, for example. The more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts are pushed for new listeners to come across and check us out. And reviews, come on. If you're listening to us over on Apple Podcasts, all you need to do is click that review button. It takes seconds for you to do it. It's free, and it means the world to us. It's the best way to support the show on that platform. Also, a little bit of word of mouth. Tell someone, grab someone who may or may not like art house horror and tell them there's a brand new segment called Andy Loves Art House? Question mark, exclamation mark, lots of points at the end. Uh, and maybe they should check out the show by starting there. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, Google Play and the TuneIn app. You can visit our website, it's teaputzcast.com. You can click the merch tab there or go direct to the merch page, teaputzcast.bigcartel.com. and buy yourself enamel pins and posters over there. That money comes back and supports what we do on Podcasts Under the Stairs and you get some cool swag out of it as well. Ain't no Patreons on this bitch. We have two pages on Facebook. You can come across to our group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash That's the group page. We chat, we talk about the show, movies, posters, uh, trailers, you name it. It's fun and interactive. It's a great place to be. There's about 600 members there now. So come across, become part of the action. Or you can follow us on facebook.com forward slash That is our page 
which is connected to our live streams, Thursday Thursdays, Instagrams and merch and all that is done through that page as well. You can interact with me on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter, both can be followed at Cast. Andy Blockley, before we go, would you like to say goodbye to the listeners please? Yeah, bye listeners, thanks for sticking with us and uh, enter the void next time apparently. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait. I'm going to break Andy on that second one. I've decided he's going to rue the day that he wanted to podcast. Rue! Um, but until the day of ruing, uh, wherever you are, what the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off. Shadow